Welcome to Everything Life Coaching. I'm John Kim. And I'm Noelle Cordeaux. We are the founders of Lumia. And we're super passionate about all things coaching, and we want to share what we've learned from over a decade of coaching and training thousands of life coaches. Let's dive into the science and magic of coaching. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Everything Life Coaching podcast. I have with us today an alumni of our Lumia Coach Training Program, a very special person in the world, someone who found their way to our organization through listening to this very podcast and is now a guest. Em, how are you today? Hi, I'm doing awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm so delighted to have you. Can you please orient our listeners to who you are in the world and where you are in the world and your area of specialization so that we can dive into our conversation? So I live in Central Florida. I'm queer, non-binary, mostly neurodivergent, disabled, and I'm really passionate about advocating for and supporting my communities. I specialize in working with neurodivergent people of all ages and anyone wanting to better support the neurodivergent people in their lives. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for the work that you do. I became aware of you and your work when you wrote into our Lumia support that there were some things in our curriculum that we needed eyes on because we didn't have a full comprehensive picture of what the needs of the neurodivergent community were within our own coaching population. So first of all, kudos it takes a ton of bravery to do that and you gave me such a beautiful um presentation that is currently working its way through the our, our curriculum team for considerations on, on how we need to do things differently and better um so thank you for that and of course. how did you become interested in this very specific aspect of coaching so my journey began with getting my bachelor's in psychology. And I got that because I grew up, honestly, just thinking there was something innately wrong with me. And I really wanted to understand myself um, so that I could help myself as well as people like me. So my first job out of college in 2020 was an ABA, which stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. I accepted the job because I told I would be helping autistic kids with what they called harmful and challenging behaviors. Yeah. At the time, I really didn't know much about autism and I never heard of ABA, but I knew that I'd also struggled with these harmful and challenging behaviors like they called them um, since I was a kid. So I, I really thought I'd be empathizing with and supporting these kids. Come to find out that was the furthest thing from what I was doing in ABA, but unfortunately it, it took me two years to realize that because first of all, I didn't realize I was autistic at the time. I was heavily masking. So I was used to suppressing who I was and just camouflaging to fit in. And that's essentially what ABA teaches kids to do, which is to seem less autistic, blend in with your peers, your neurotypical peers, and disregard your needs. So I learned about the neurodiversity paradigm in 2022, and that's when I realized, oh, what I'm doing is wrong. And I started listening to autistic adults, and that's really what confirmed to me that I was autistic. I sort of had an idea, but really um, connecting with my community was how I identified myself. So then 
I quit my job with no backup plan, very impulsive. Uh, I just knew I needed to find a way to better support autistics in an affirming way. And that's when I found your podcast. And just hearing you and John, I just really deeply aligned with your values. And so I signed up for the essentials course. And here I am now. <laughs> awesome. I What a graduation full circle from... Yes. <laughs> and I yeah, a seed to supporting our listeners, just like you once were. I'm really sorry for your experience. And, you know, I don't know a lot. I don't know anything really about the autistic community. Can you share a little bit about um, what are, what the harmful and challenging behaviors are that were, were being presented that, that, that you what would tell us about your experience like I'd love to know more sure um so the harmful and challenging behaviors are um what we it's basically just an autistic person in distress and it's a lot of times not having the communication the vocal communication to express that to the adults around them so Um, They may see kids having meltdowns or shutdowns, throwing things, running out of the room. And what ABA does is tries to extinguish those behaviors um, with harmful tactics. But what they really needed was someone to listen to them and know, oh, it's the fluorescent lighting. It is giving that kid a migraine or it's the smells, or it's the fact that they're non-speaking and they don't have a communication device and they don't know how to communicate to you. So those were the types of um, things that we you know, worked on. And I learned that there was a better way to do those types of things. Yeah, that's really important information. So I just want to mirror back what I'm hearing from you and for understanding is that for some folks, what is described as harmful and challenging is actually just straightforward communication about needs. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. That's, that's a, that's a great framework to work from. And I imagine that there may be a lot of parents out there who are listening where some light bulbs, you know, might be going on at this point, um, or even some adults who might be relating and saying, wow, this is making, you know, a ton of sense for me. So yeah. When, when I sat for your presentation on neurodivergence and coaching, you gave us some really amazing terminology to consider. Would you be able to walk us through some terms today so that you know folks listening can um, understand, mirror, and reflect in appropriate ways? Yeah, definitely. And I appreciate you asking because language is such a key component of being neurodiversity affirmative. And I didn't just know this language. I had to learn it so I can empathize with it is hard to learn. So one of the first terms is neuronormativity. And that's a set of standards, expectations, and norms that center certain ways of functioning as the superior or or right way. So then there's the neurodiversity paradigm, which is a lens that asserts that all neurotypes are natural and essential to human diversity. There's not a normal or healthy neurotype. And that the social power inequalities impact neurodiversity similarly to other forms of human diversity, such as race, gender, and sexuality. So neurodiversity is the natural diversity or variety of human brains or neurotypes. 
And this implies that there's not one right way to think or do things or exist. And that brains function differently from person to person. And that's perfectly normal and okay. Um, neurotype is a just, it's a category for identifying diversity and brain wiring and functionality. So we all have a neurotype, just like we all have a sexuality, a gender, race, etc. So then there's neurodivergent, which is abbreviated with ND a lot of the time. And it's an umbrella term for people whose neurotype diverges from what's socially considered quote unquote normal. So I'm neurodivergent because I'm autistic, ADHD, plus some others. I also refer to myself as multiply neurodivergent because I'm neurodivergent in more than one way. And then there's the opposite of neurodivergent, which is neurotypical. And that's a person whose neurotype aligns with what's socially considered normal or standard. And that goes into neuronormativity. That's the neurotypical view as the um, superior and right way, according to neuronormativity. Words are hard. (laughs) Um, And then last term is neurodiverse. And when someone says neurodiverse, they're referring to a group of people with different neurotypes. So neurodiverse can't be used to refer to one person. So for example, a neurodiverse could include an autistic person, a person with Down syndrome, and a neurotypical person. And I can share resources for these definitions so that listeners can have a copy of them um, to reference to and learn more about. That would be great. We'll pop it in the show notes so that that folks can check it out. So, you know, what's coming up for me as I'm listening to you is that if we were to walk into any room, you know, and I'm just thinking of the Lumia retreat that we just had. That's a neurodiverse group of humans. Exactly. Because no matter what kind of grouping you put in a room, everybody's going to have a different aspect of representation. And what's also coming up for me is how much (laughs) this is just a massive part of intersectionality that is perhaps overlooked because it's not visible. Exactly. Okay. So intersectionality in coaching is, um, is, is one of the key components of, of beginning to get in front of harnessing, you know, coaching presence um, and harnessing, you know, uh, unconscious bias. And so I'm, what I'm hearing from you is that from a, an NT neurotypical perspective, there's, there's been held up as like, this one like right way mm-hmm. and right now we're at this inflection point in society where the idea of a right way is, is being questioned everything from command and control leadership to white supremacy to the patriarchy to capitalism <laughs> and now here we are like yes. let's blow this to smir- smithereens like we are a neurodiverse you know population so i i heard you talk about masking um can you give us a sense of, you know, growing up in your body, in your brain, what was the standard? Like, so if, if, we're, if we're looking at something and we want to name it, like we name white supremacy, we know what it is. Like if we're looking at the standard for neurotypical, you know, being on the other side um, of intersectional identity, what does that standard look like and and how does it not make sense and what do we need to know about it in order to start undoing it? 
So growing up, uh, I was socialized as a girl raised AFAB. So a lot of that goes into the people pleasing tendencies that we have. Um, Give more than you take. If you even take it all, you probably shouldn't take up less space. And um, to be compliant and polite. And if you're uncomfortable, don't show it. So growing up, that's I I was very high masking ever since I was a kid. I looked at my peers, I figured out what was quote unquote normal and acceptable, and I emulated that. And I did it really well. Hence why I didn't realize I was autistic until I was 23. Um so to to dismantle that, it really of course, it's, it is linked in colonialism and white supremacy and patriarchy and all the things that you said. So it's, first of all, identifying those things exist and looking at how much you're perpetuating them and as an individual. And then once you've done that, for me, it's beginning to unmask, which is connecting back, honestly, with my childlike self, my most authentic self, and knowing what causes me discomfort what causes me joy, the things that we don't even think about because they're supposed to be just uh, innate, really thinking about all the little things that make you who you are and challenging. Is that who I am told to be? Or is this who I authentically am? And I know, you know, from my own intersectional experience, there are a couple of things that 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 you might be able to relate to. One of them is um, is shame when yeah. when you don't have the the shoulds. I should be a certain way. Um, uh, I have I have a lot of dyslexic traits, and for me, um, math was always very tricky because I flip things <laughs> around, yes. and yes. there was always an idea that I held that. Um, I Noel could never engage in the world of business because I can't do math. There's something wrong with me. Mm. Um, and another is um, is is that feeling of um, when I look into those joy p- points and I look into my innate self and who I am and my strengths and my talents is, and, and this comes down to, I think a lot of, of queer identity is realizing that I have to carve a space for myself to exist because it doesn't readily exist. And so those are kind of two things that, that I've dealt with is, is shame and then needing to create space for myself. Um, what's that like, what's that been like for you? And does that play into the, the world of, of neurodiversity. The shoulds really hit home because that's that's rooted in internalized ableism. So mm-hmm. ad- adopting ableism as how you treat yourself. So I should be able to go in this coffee shop with the loud music and the lights and the smells and be able to work because look at everyone around me. What's mm-hmm. wrong with me? Why can't I do this? This happened yesterday and I had to leave in tears. And I had to have a lot of compassion with myself and stop shooting myself. (laughs) Just little things like that. And, and like you said, carving a space. Um, I didn't get to grow up as a queer person and I I didn't get to grow up non-binary and I didn't get to grow up queer. So I, 
I had to have a lot of self-compassion and allow myself the space and the time and the patience to figure myself out because we're not raised like most of us aren't raised like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So, I mean, what's, what's striking me is that, you know, your voice and your bravery is, is exemplary of leadership, right? And I'm not going to cry because I'm so proud of our community and all of the work of our coaches. But, you know, this is, this is what it's all about. It's noticing, it's seeing, it's saying, this is, this is what I have to offer. This is what I have to say. And then stepping forward to literally lend your voice out of love for others. So thank you. I just want to honor you in this. Um, Thank you. And, you know, everybody who listens to our podcast comes to it from a place of, of wanting to do better and wanting to understand and wanting to be a good coach. So, you know, if we have coaches out there who are neurodiverse, who are like, I want in the game, um, what, what do we need to know? I know, you know, from an intersectionality perspective, I hear from queer folks and I hear from BIPOC folks, I want coaches who look like me. I want coaches who are, can identify with my experience. How does that work in the ND world? Yeah, I think the feeling is similar. Um, like I, I work with a neurodivergent coach because it gives that instant representation and like you understand me, even though they have different needs. And it, you know, neurodivergent is a big umbrella term. Like, it, so we're very different neurodivergent to neurodivergent words. Neurodivergent person and neurodivergent person, we're very different, but we have the innate understanding of each other of what it's like to exist differently in the world and to be very misunderstood. So by having a neurodivergent coach, you know that your needs aren't going to be dismissed and that you're going to be listened to and advocated for. And representation is so important because majority of us are unemployed. So we don't see majority of us within the career space. So it's really important to um, see each other and encourage each other. One of the points that you brought up at Lumia Mm -hmm. is the need for training neurodiverse coaches to authentically coach neurodiverse clients in an affirming way. With a caveat of not training neurotypical coaches on how to coach neurodivergent clients, right? So mm-hmm. let's say that that we're an NT coach and our client comes to us and says, you know, I've, I'm realizing that, that I'm autistic for the first time. So as a coach, what do we have? We have our choices are, you know, coach, coach the person, not the problem, um, so that we, we, we stay with the client and affirm them. Or we can refer out to an ND coach in that space. If if we're if we're offering our our neurotypical coaches a path forward, what do you think? What would you do? It's like a choose your own adventure story. Yeah, I think um, the reason I didn't advocate for training neurotypical coaches how to coach neurodivergent clients is because if they want to specialize in this niche, they can and they can take take that extra training. It's okay if they don't want to, and it's okay to refer out. Um, But if you do go this route and you want to continue working with that client, I would encourage you to learn from autistic people, not about 
autistic people because there's a big difference. So that would be step one. I, I would offer um, basically universal design. So being accessible to everybody regardless of their their intersectionality, their age, disability, or other factors. So offering accommodations, I would ask what what you need from me at that moment. Something that you shared earlier that um, really landed for me was the statistics regarding um, the experience of ND people. You said that most ND people are unemployed. Mm-hmm. That that struck me. So as we're thinking about coaching, as we're thinking about the workforce, as we're thinking about why people may be coming to the space of coaching, can you share a little bit of the backstory that's not really visible of the lived experience of ND folks? What are they up against? Like 30 to 40% of neurodivergent people are unemployed. And um, I meant to say majority of autistic people are unemployed. So that's 86% of autistic people are unemployed. Only 14% of us hold a job. So with that statistic, that just emphasizes the extra support that we need with employment, rather that's finding careers aligned with our strengths, identifying and requesting accommodations, or increasing self-advocacy in the workplace. Another statistic is that 70% of neurodivergent employees experience co-occurring mental health conditions. Mm-hmm. And 72% of autistic adults are at suicide risk. Mm-hmm. And as coaches, we are taught to refer to a therapist, which we should do. And if we're neurodiversity affirming, we can continue to support our clients because for many of us, these conditions are lifelong. So this is more so of a call to action to support us and unmasking, identifying our support needs and finding authentic ways to self-regulate to help with our, these co-occurring conditions that we have. Yeah. Uh, that makes that makes a ton of sense, you know, and 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 it's like when I think about, um, you know, mental health, emotional health, and and well being, and I've been with some of my clients for years and years and years, and as we kind of traverse the journeys of life, there are times when things are topsy-turvy. There are times when things are smooth. There are times when things are acute and underlying mental health conditions pop up. Mm -hmm. There are times when my clients do um, go to therapy. There are times when my clients do get on meds and yet we continue coaching because the point of coaching is to move forward with your life. Exactly. of everything that you're up against in spite of, you know, everything that, that you're going on. So some of the things that, um, that I'm, I'm hearing loud and clear is that, um, you know, listen to neurodiverse folks about their experience to gain like a true understanding, because it sounds like a lot of what is presented in the literature, academia, and possibly even the medical model is incorrect and not affirming. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of it is about us, but not from us and for us. So there's a lot of confusion that can happen because um, 
There's the double empathy problem by Dr. Damian Milton, which states that non-autistic people struggle to understand autistic people just as much as we struggle to understand them. So that there's not a problem with either one of our theory of mind. It's just that non-autistics understand non-autistics better and autistics understand autistics better. So that's the, the, the emphasis for learning from autistic people. If you really want to know how to help us better as well as neurodivergent people that can be applied to other neurodivergents as well. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like that's true for any aspect of intersectionality. Exactly. And and that's just a great rule of thumb for coaches is ask the person in front of you what their experience is. Ask the person in front of you what your needs are. Ask the person in front of you, you know, how you would like to get support and proceed. It, 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 It feels very straightforward from that perspective of open heartedness. It does. It does. It's one of those things that sounds so, of course, when you hear it, but sometimes if we're taught for so long that so many things are deficit or pathologized, like we start to believe that until we hear someone else say something like Dr. Davian Milton did. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, huge thanks to, to, you know, everybody who, who comes forward to work on these problems. It kind of in the scope of history, I'm curious about like placing this because I've been around the block a couple times and this conversation is new for me to really be getting into the intersectional needs of the ND community. So like who's doing this work now? Uh, where are the well springs? And, you know, like you mentioned one great theorist, who, what do we need to know? Who do we need to know about? Like what's popping? Yeah. Um, one of my favorites is Dr. Megan Anna Neff. Um, they're uh, autistic ADHD um, psychologist and researcher. They have amazing content on Instagram and their website. I can also um, provide a link for them. Uh, Dr. Nick Walker. Um, she is amazing. I already have her resume link for some of the terminologies for neurodiversity. Devin Price, the lived experience educator, which is Sunny Jane Weiss. Um, I also referenced them for some of the terminology. So these people are here. Um, it's just, again, with marginalization, we aren't as mainstream as other people are. Um, so those are just some of the people that have really great work and have really helped me in my self-education of neurodiversity. So we got into, you know, some different ways to support ND folks. Listen to the lived experience of your clients, you know, mm-hmm. bang on. Are there things not to do? And and when we get into the the question of like what not to do, I don't want it to feel punitive, you know, yeah. but I think it's sometimes even in in coach training, it's helpful to have those behavioral markers. So an example in coaching of like what not to do is don't talk over your client. Don't be directive. That's what's not so in. So in working with ND folks, are there a greatest hits list of what not to do? Yeah, I, I think the first one is to not use functioning labels or ableist or pathologizing language. And I don't think people do that intentionally. Um, Again, I just think it's systematically how we were taught. Um, I'll share from my own experience as a client. So I I told a coach once that I was autistic and they responded with, oh, 
I didn't see that in you. You must be really high functioning then. And I know the coach didn't have bad intentions, but in that moment, I checked out. I felt extremely invalidated and dismissed at that moment. Um, so I'm like, yeah, you're just seeing my mask. That's all you're saying. Don't say things like that, please. <laughs> um, another thing, don't call someone's neurodivergence a superpower. I hear this a lot and I know it's well-meaning, but again, with the previous example, it can be really dismissive to a lot of us because while our neurodivergence can give us incredible strengths, it also comes with a lot of challenges and a lot of neurodivergent people are disabled. Um, another, another thing that we're taught to do in, the, in coach training is to um, reflect emotions um, to label your clients' emotions or challenge the mismatch between their words and their facial expressions. So this can have a negative effect on some neurodivergent clients because many of us have different facial expressions than neurotypical people. Um, mm -hmm. So for example, many autistics have a flat and monotone affect, like myself, which could be assumed as angry, upset, bored, annoyed, these emotions are usually the opposite of how we're feeling. So a coach might reflect that I look angry when I'm actually really focused and I'm connecting my thoughts. So then I might try to look more quote unquote pleasant, which means that I would start masking. And we've been through the effects of masking and how detrimental that is. So those are just a few things of things to avoid um, when you're working with neurodivergent clients. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm just playing this through in the context of a coaching conversation because this is really good stuff. So, you know, if if I and I only work by phone, so I wouldn't necessarily um, see a facial expression. But mm -hmm. if you're telling me that that your affect is typically flat, I wouldn't be able to get a sense of your emotion. So I might say something as a coach, and and I need you to just correct me here because I don't know. So I might say something as a coach, like, um, you know, I, I hear the the seriousness of what you're telling me, but I can't tell how you're feeling uh, from your voice. Can you share with me what emotions are going on for you right now? Again, I think all of it except for labeling the seriousness, because okay. I might not, I might not be so serious i might i might just be like purposeful or i might be content and my voice might sound flat typically the only time my voice changes a lot is when i'm talking about something i'm super passionate about but um but yeah asking the client how they're feeling and something to note some neurodivergence especially for autistics and and some adhders have issues identifying their emotions it's called alexithymia mm -hmm. So they don't know how they're feeling in the moment. Um, so sometimes that, that can be challenging for some neurodivergent. So when they say they don't know, they, they likely don't know. So just something to be mindful of. Absolutely. So this sounds like something that might be really helpful to establish at intake with a client. Mm -hmm. of, outside of coaching session, um, you know, hey, is there anything that I need to know about you in terms of where you might fall on a spectrum from ND to NT uh, in terms of the way that you relate to feelings or emotions. Exactly. Yeah. Coming Great. right with curiosity. Yeah. I love it. 
Cool. Awesome. <laughs> All right, everyone, we have something new to add to our coaching intake forms <laughs> as to insert a question in there because, you know, if if we don't know, we can't do better. And if this is an area where where folks feel a lot of shame and masking and might not even want to just come out and, and share with a coach that they don't know that well, we can always invite a little bit of space to say, hey, I would like to accept you as a whole person. Is there anything at all that I need to know so that when we're in conversation with each other, acknowledging that coaching is a verbal discipline, there are different rules for different people. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, just asking them, how, how do you experience your emotions? How do you identify with your emotions um, can be super helpful. And I, I know that you um, noted that coaching is a vocal discipline, and it mainly is. Um, but something that I offer just to in, uh, increasing accessibility for my clients is um, coaching through nonverbal means like email or whiteboard, or I want to look into like a chat room or AAC, which is a communication device for non speaking autistics. So just to increase accessibility, there are other ways to do coaching besides just speaking because that isn't accessible to everybody. Absolutely. I do a lot of coaching over text. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, yeah it's, it, uh, it's a bridge for my clients in between sessions and not everybody needs a full hour session to process. Sometimes they just need to vent, clear, share, um, and then have that safe container to be held. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we all get there one way or another. Um, all right. <clears throat> so what is above all else um, one thing that you would like to leave our listeners with? Don't assume that you're working with neurotypical clients. They may not tell you or they may not know. So best cases to use neurodiversity affirming practice with all of your clients, not just clients who identify as neurodivergent. I love that. And and thank you in advance for the, the tools that you're going to provide for folks to dive in deeper and get a handle on this. And I know that um, there are folks who are going to want to reach out to you for information, for support, to pay you for your services. (laughs) So where can folks find you? Uh, You can find me at my website at thrivingnd.com. And you can book a free discovery call. I also offer uh, coaching exchanges like bartering for other coaches. Um, So you have those opportunities as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being a part of our Lumia family. It has been wonderful to spend time with you. And again, I am just so proud to have, you know, listener to coach to guest. Thank you so much, Em. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everything Life Coaching. If you're feeling the draw to become a coach, head to lumiacoaching.com slash everything. Explore a new career that brings fulfillment gives you a true sense of purpose and a bold community to do it with. Lumia is ready to equip you with the tools, training, and community you will need to reach your goals. If you're ready to build a unique coaching business on your own terms while making an impact on the world at large, Lumia is the next bold step in your coaching journey. 
That's lumiacoaching.com slash everything. And hey, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it.